Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. We started a number of weeks ago looking at Dr. Luke's gospel, the gospel of certainty. You remember that being the title. He is writing to Theophilus. He's probably a governor, a high official, and he's writing to him in what is the longest gospel. And Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. When you put volume one and two together, Luke and the and the Acts of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus through the Apostles, the Book of Acts as we call it, and he writes this Gospel of Certainty. I've entitled uh, today's message, The Greatest Birth Announcement Ever, where God was at work. God was up to something. God is always at work. Jesus said that. There was a thought that Jesus only, that God only worked six days and he took off the seventh. You think of the creation week. And it's true, he did that week, but he works even to this very day, Jesus said. And the Lord Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He holds all the creation together. It would go flying apart, and so on. So the greatest birth announcement ever, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Well, when a newborn is received into a family, there's often the great desire to want to tell everyone about the great news, to share it with many. There seem to be, even in our day, a lot of ways in which you can do that. Of course, uh, it's common and, uh, to send out little birth uh, uh, announcements. Uh, you know, uh, rejoice with us. God has given us a child, maybe a Bible verse, and all the stats, right, like it's an early baseball card. You know, 6'4", bats 320, you know, this kind of thing. No, 19 inches long, six and a half pounds, born, praise the Lord. And maybe a little picture. Now, it's getting easier to do that, you know, a little snapshot. Isn't he beautiful? Oh, my. I've not too seen a whole lot of newborns that are beautiful. I'm sorry. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. They look like raisins, a lot of them, when they're born like that. Uh, now, my daughter was different. She was beautiful. <laughs> At the <laughs> See, you saw her, you know what I mean, see? <laughs> My mother said I was ugly as could be when I was born. She did. Looked at me and, eh, what can you say? I guess he's a keeper, right? So anyway, balloons on the mailbox. You see that, right? Or a stork out in the front yard. We'll see that. It's a boy. It's a girl. Pink or blue, depending, right? Local newspapers, they put the birth announcements in there. Signs in the front yard, it's a girl. Airplanes, the body, a wing plane flying overhead. I've seen that with a banner on the back. It's a girl. Now, that costs a little bit more money to do that, but uh, get the word out. What a, what a great thing. Wow. When our first, uh, when firstborn was born, and that was indeed Sarah, I was so flipped out. I went right down to the... Uh, <clears throat> to the little store there at the hospital. I bought a bunch of boxes of suckers. You know, they were written on, it's a girl. I was like a nut. I passed those out all over the hospital, everywhere I went, just letting everyone know that Faith and I were blessed by having a child, a little girl. Wow. That, and, and, and people took it. I don't know if they ate it or not. but Well, from an earthly viewpoint, from an earthly viewpoint, as we've been looking in our study of the Gospel of Luke, uh, uh, it's uh, the birth of the greatest one ever born. Muhammad Ali claimed he was the greatest in the ring. There's been a lot of celebration about him lately. I'm the greatest. Well, he's not the greatest. The poor guy can hardly speak today with uh, uh, being knocked around in the ring and, and the, uh, the, the diseases disease that he's suffered now as a result. But there was one who truly was the greatest, the greatest one ever born. And what's amazing about this one is uh, 
uh, it would seem from a human earthly point of view, his birth was going to go totally unnoticed. Now, if it was today with public relations and if it was the birth of a king, you can imagine all the, uh, all the fanfare and all the preliminary work that would be done so that all people everywhere would know that the king is having a son born to him. But when we read this, and we did, we studied chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 last week, it almost appears because Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. There's only uh, a manger, which is an animal feeder type of trough to put the baby in. And it alludes to us that, the, that Mary gave birth in a stable. Only the animals were there and nothing else. And like most, uh, most girls that are about to, they want their mamas there, you know. They don't They'll trade the father-to-be for the mother any day of the week. I've seen that a number of times. You out, where's my mama? And Mary's mama was a long way away up in, up in Nazareth, 80 to 100 miles away. Well, this birth of the greatest ever born was uh, seemed to be at this very moment of time almost to go unnoticed. Jesus was born in obscurity. That's Bethlehem, that little hamlet. Yet, it was not right, it was not right that his birth, this birth of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, should go unrecognized. And so, here's the good news, it would not. It would not. I mean, there are some things where God says enough is enough, and he intervenes, and he does in a big way. It's a big-time way. I mean, if you've seen the 4th of July at City Island and the fireworks. Kind of fun to watch that. It's a nice uh, uh, light and sound display, and it's fun like that. That's nothing. That is nothing compared to what God was going to do and break open and celebrate in announcing the greatest one that was ever born. And that's our text here tonight. God would overrule this seemingly silence. Heaven, you see, could not keep and would not keep silent about the birth of Jesus. So God sends an angel. It's an unnamed, an unnamed angel. And you know the story, and this is the challenge of this passage. Don't check out. You've sung it. You've heard it a hundred times. Familiarity breeds ignorance. Stay with it. God has some things to teach us here. It's an unnamed angel. Some guess it's Gabriel, the same one, but we really don't know. And then there, we're going to discover there are a whole lot of other angels, and they go unnamed. And the shepherds, we're going to discover there in Shepherd's Field, they're unnamed. God knew their names, but we don't know their names. I always thought what a wonderful thing if it would have been to have your name included in Holy Scripture. Wouldn't that have been something? Isn't that be something? Look down there, you know, like uh, just, uh, you know, like over there in that distant book, chapter 4, last for, and, uh, and, and, and bring Terry. He's profitable for me. Wouldn't that be great? Man, well, what would we do? We'd underline that. Give me your Bible. Let me underline that. You know, like I'll sign my name on that page. You know, <laughs> you think of book authors and all. Wouldn't that be something? They have your name listed in the Word of God. And there are sections where Paul does that, the different ones. He lists their name. We don't know anything about them, but God knows who they are. And they've lived, they serve, they die, they're in heaven, and they're more alive today than ever. But here we have an unnamed angel, but God knew who it was. God sent them. Here we have unnamed shepherds. We don't know who they are, but God knew who they were. And uh, you think, well, God doesn't know me. He doesn't know my... Oh, yeah, He does. He knows everything about you. He created you. He created you with a purpose for this time and this place with this, with the gifts and abilities that God has given to you. And He's allowed you to live this many years, and He's brought you to this church for His glory. And then as we leave, wow, a lot here just in that. And so God sends an angel, and then he sends millions, literally, there are millions of angels. What's 10,000 times 10,000? It's myriads upon myriads in the Greek to announce the birth of Jesus. 
and to joyfully celebrate the event by giving God all the glory, glory to God on the highest, and peace on earth is what we sing. Well, there are two responses to Jesus' birth in our text today, calling each one of us and all people everywhere to receive this one, Christ the Lord, the one that was born to be Lord and Savior of your life. For the text, we'll see in a moment, for a Savior is born to you. Now, that's unusual. Usually, a baby is born to a family. Have you ever thought about it? A baby is born to a family, to a community in a lesser extent, but we don't think of it that way. It's usually a family. We had a boy. We had it, right? Uh, we meaning, you know, mom and dad and or the Zabolsky family, if there are others. We don't usually say, well, we Mechanicsburg or we Harrisburg had a baby. Isn't that great? We had a ba-. But this is different. Well, this child was born, was given to you, the angel says to the shepherd. Well, let's look at this familiar text and pray that God gives us a fresh look at it and challenges our heart. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 8, following. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, I say to you that there are really two responses here that, that really jump off the pages of God's text here. It's really simple. Uh, it's, 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 and this is it, and it speaks directly to us if you know Christ. The first response is the heavens could not remain silent. Could not remain silent over this enormous, momentous birth of Christ and all that it would mean. It would mean that the time finally came when, when God was going to solve our greatest need and enter into human life and to provide the only way of escape through the cross and the empty tomb. And it was through the birth of Christ. Heaven could not remain silent, and nor should we, nor should you, nor should I. We who received and know and have come and heard must go and tell. We must tell others about the birth of Christ and all that that means. And people will be amazed and they'll wonder. But more than that, some will be saved. The second uh, response is the shepherds could not remain still. So they didn't, uh, heaven couldn't be silent and the shepherds couldn't remain still. And so... The same should be said of us. So should we, right? Shepherds could not remain still but responded by checking it out. And so should we. We should move out after having seen and heard and received Christ 
We ought to go. Well, the first response in verses uh, uh, 8 to 14, the heavens could not remain silent. There must have been a lot of excitement in heaven watching God rescue fallen men and women. I remind you that the Bible gives us, uh, the Bible certainly teaches about angels. Rob's going to be teaching our, our teens about that. Uh, angels really exist. There are myriads upon myriads of them. There, if we understand the Bible right, one-third of the angels fell when Satan fell. There's a part of them that are held in the lowest reigns of Hades. Uh, I think they corrupted and polluted the human race in Genesis 6. That's my take on that. And helped destroy the seed that would eventually produce the seed of the woman. They're being held in Tartarus. That's the lowest realm of of, of hell. Jude speaks of that. They're in chains. The other ones who did not cohabit uh, in Genesis 6 roam freely with Satan. They're demons. And I have seen an increase through my years of the, the occult and demonization even here in the United States. When Faith and I go to Qatar. It's a demonic country. It's dark. It's spiritually black. And uh, demonism everywhere. False religion. That's all the worship of Satan. They're fallen angels. And there are good angels, the elect angels, the angels that haven't fallen. And these are the angels that we see in our text. And someday we shall see them. And like the, uh, like the, uh, the shepherds, be amazed at their beauty and brilliancy and radiance. They were reflecting at this point the glory of God because they were coming from God's very presence God is light, and there's the radiance of God. I often told you that I think Adam and Eve, before they fell, had a, had a radiance and a glow about them that they had emanated from them. Sometimes you go to the museum, and you'll see some of the great artists depicting some of the Bible scenes and, and even the nativity, and they'll show uh, the, the, uh, the Christ child, and they'll have a radiant glow going from his head kind of a thing. Now, he did, did not have that, of course. He was a real child in every way, this, the God-man, but the child, the Lord Jesus, did not have that. But I think uh, Adam and Eve, A.W. Pink, may be right in that because they communed with the Lord. The Lord would come in the cool of the day in Genesis and commune and talk and fellowship. What an amazing thing that is to think about. And the radiance and glory of God would have been reflected uh, even, uh, even off of them from that. They, that was a part of the fall and what they lost. I give you that to think about as you read your Bible. Just, I remind you of one other passage. Remember Moses on Sinai. There he is in the presence of God receiving the, the very law, the Ten Commandments from God. And when he came down, his face had a glow about it, so much that it scared the people. And they asked him to cover his face because I think they, they were keenly aware of their shame and their guilt and their sin, and they wanted it to be covered. Well, the angels are like that. There's a brilliant glow to them as they come from the very presence of God. I I can't wait to see heaven and the glory of that. You know, heaven is home. You know, we live here. We call it home, but it's not really home. You know that? It's not really home. Don't get so comfortable here. We're moving on, and there's no guarantee you're going to go, you know, 100 years or 110. Have you ever seen anybody 110? They're not really alive. Somebody's sitting them up. Someone's laying them down. Someone's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's true, right? And to bury all your loved ones, I'm not so sure that's good. And yet, and yet you know, heaven is so great, and yet there are so many needs here, and it's needful to serve the Lord, and we think of our loved ones and all that. But you haven't seen anything yet. You need never fear heaven, never fear death, the glory of that, and the wonder of God's angels, the celestial city, the glory of that. We, we get just a glimpse of that here as the angels now are peering and watching. From the fall of Adam, they're waiting these thousands of years. Lord, when will you rescue human 
Men and women, they're living, they're dying, they're living, they're dying. When will you solve this great problem of sin? How will you do it? They're, they're not almighty, they're not omniscient. And so waiting and watching, and Peter talks about the angels watching to see this almost with bated breath. And now the angel, the time came, and God sent his son, and the angels peering and watching this high drama play out busting over with joy in the worship of God. For now, man, men and women and mankind would be being rescued by God. And in that, he would display his qualities and attributes that they would never know and that we would never know. We would never know what a loving God is if Christ did not come. We, would, we could read it in the Word. We love God. God is love. But now in technicolor, God loves us that much? that he would give his only son in such a, a humiliating way, born in a hamlet, no place in the inn, no hospital, no fanfare. He was born to... That's the depth of his love for us. You see it magnify that. God's grace, God is the great gift giver, and it magnifies that. His mercy, oh, we deserve judgment and wrath, every last one of us. And God holds it back. And instead, he treats us with kindness. It's almost unbelievable. It is, except it's true. God is long-suffering, much more than us. We give, we give our kids three strikes. That's one, right? That's two. It's like the Phillies this week. That's three. <laughs> I was really hoping they'd win. But God is long-suffering. You know, he doesn't give us three strikes, you're out, even after you're saved. You know, if he did that, there'd be no one here today. No one. The band wouldn't even be here playing. I wouldn't be. No one. We No. God is long-suffering. And you see, it was the incarnation that teaches us this. And that's why God is much more even glorified. And the angels with bated breath as were peering and watching all of this. Wow. Well, the setting, A, is for the announcement, is shepherd's field. It's a little bowl of a field. You, when, when you go from Jerusalem down the, the top ridge uh, of, of, the, uh, of the, it's called a mountain, but it's a highland, it's about five miles from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. And you come into Bethlehem, and down in the, it's a bowl area, which is typically called shepherd's field. You can see how it would easily be the place for shepherds to be watching their sheep uh, even by night. That's the setting. Perhaps, just perhaps, these were the lambs, some suggest, that were going to be slaughtered at the temple. I remind you, it was a bloody sacrifices all the time there in the, in the temple, five miles down the road. The killing of the bulls and goats and lambs uh, even the pigeons, if they were poor. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. All of that was, a, was a pictorial, pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God. The sheep needed to be protected from thieves and from wild animals. Uh, the sheepfold at night, thieves, you know, like I'll have some lamb chops. You like lamb chops? They, need, they just couldn't let them run in the field or they'd be missing them two by two by two and where are they going? Somebody's roasting lamb chops. If you haven't had good lamb chops, oh my, you don't know what's good. They are good. Any of you like those? Anyone here, Racer? Oh, all right. Okay. Well, we ought to do that sometime. Amen? Lamb chops. That'd be great. Well, the thieves would go down and take, so the shepherds had to, and the wild animals, you know, the, the lions and the bears and all that. And that's not NFL. They'd go down and, yeah, I'll take one of those. The shepherds had to watch. And what they would do, they'd have several flocks and shepherds, and they would corral them at night. The sheep would all be mixed together from the different flocks, and there at the opening, uh, they would do like guard duty. Some of you were in the military, and you had to post duty at night and watch and all that. You couldn't fall asleep, right? And the one shepherd who was on duty then would lay across the opening uh, that prevented the sheep from wandering out again. And that's the beautiful picture in John 10. I know my sheep, and they know my voice, and I call them, and they come. You see, what would happen then in the morning, 
Then the rest of the shepherds who were sleeping during that night, uh, they would call their sheep. I don't know what they would say. Giddy up, come over here. I don't know. That's, no, that's sort of Wild West, isn't it? <laughs> but they, and the sheep from his flock would know his voice and would, they'd follow him out of that sheepfold. And then the next one would do it and they would follow him and they, they wouldn't get mixed up. They're beautiful. That the, that's the scene here. At night, most of the shepherds sleeping, no doubt. One hopefully wasn't sleeping, was supposed to be laying his body across the opening and protecting while the others were sleeping. That's the setting. Well, shepherds, you should know, were considered at the very bottom of society. We, we're not agrarian, most of us. Don't you do farming to, for our livelihood? And uh, we've, we've, been, we've seen enough Christmas pageants. We've, we've been involved in them. Maybe you were a sheep or a shepherd when you were little. And you're like, oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, I want to be a shepherd this year. I, I got news for you. And that day, no one wanted to be a shepherd. It was an honorable work, but it was the very bottom. I mean, I don't know what you think about as the bottom occupation today. What would it be? Cleaning out what, Johnny on the spots maybe? I don't know. Something way down, right? Way down there. Uh, maybe that's not as bad as some. I don't, I don't know. But they were, cons- it was the bottom uh, of the working class. They were the, the working class sinners. They were considered. To the, to the Pharisees, they were completely unclean. Why? They lived out in the fields with the shepherds. I mean, with the sheep. They did not bathe. You know, we Americans have warm water and showers. Don't you love that? That's one of the sweet things of our day. And you don't have to have a tub in it where they fill it up once a week, and if you have seven kids, you know, they all jump in the same thing, one after the other after the other. You know, so <laughs> you know what I'm saying by that, right? These guys, it was, it was really a young boy's dream. You mean, I, you mean I don't have to get a shower? No, no possibility. All right. You know, like layer upon layer of filth and dirt and smell and stink and, and the clothes. You know, like we got we have closets, right? Wardrobe? No way. No way. It, hey, it fits good. I'll wear it. That's what I wear. You know, I don't like it. I mean, they lived out in the fields seven days a week, and they lived with the animals, and they took care of them, and they were considered uncleaned, Uh, Do you know they were considered uh, to be, they were uneducated, they were unskilled except for caring for the sheep, they were considered unreliable, unsavory creatures, and even even the Pharisaic law, you know, they couldn't even testify in court. They couldn't. Because their testimony was so spurious, they were considered liars and cheats and you couldn't trust anything that they said. All right, so we have this romantic notion of shepherds. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Give them a staff, you know. (laughs) No, get the right picture here because it will amaze you as to God in his sweet elective sovereignty chose this group of people to announce the birth of his son. I'm telling you, there's a whole theology in this. Let me rush ahead. You see, the gospel is for all people everywhere. It is. It is. I mean, we have our little pecking orders, you know. We sometimes think the gospel's for good people. Oh, no, they're too, they're too wicked. We don't want to share it with them. You know? What in the world? That's, that's, the gospel is for all people everywhere. It's for those on death row. It's for the unsavory. It's for the down and out. It's for the the aristocrats and those that have so much and realize how empty all that is. It's for them too. It's for all people everywhere. And God pronounces that and underlines it for us by not allowing his son to go without a birth announcement where he breaks open heaven into this announcement we're going to see through the angel and then the glory of the millions of angels speaking. Uh, glory to God in the, in the heavens. Well, God brought the announcement of Jesus' birth to these shepherds. They were the working class sinners. And it shows us that the gospel is God's gospel for all, not just good people. I remind you, God is no respecter of persons. We are. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. 
but to all, love all people equally as those made in God's image, those that need to be saved, right? We're all scoundrels. Talk about the scum of the earth, okay? That's us. Now, that's what I love about the church. It's not like some of these highfalutin societies. They want to check your pedigree and your checkbook to find out if you're worthy to join their club. You know, no thank you. What I love about the church is you have to confess that you're a worthless scoundrel. Who's worthy of hell? <laughs> All right, you're welcome. Come in. I love it. I just I love the true church, you know? The sad thing I, I, when I read that a lot of folks don't go to church because they don't feel good enough. Somehow the message has been completely corrupted. You got it backwards. Are you feeling rotten? Are you rotten? Come, join, join the rest of us. It's really one bum telling another bum where to find food. That's really the church gathered as we open God's wonderful word and he feeds our soul and he saves us and he gives us something to do and he gives us love one for the other. I love the church. It's far greater than all that other stuff or clubs. I don't know how you think about it. That's the way I do. Well, see, all of a sudden, imagine these uh, shepherds. They're pooped. They're tired. They're sleeping. Hopefully the one not at the, the door of the, of the sheepfold wasn't. But all of a sudden, uh, they're awakened, and an unnamed angel appears and announces the good news to the shepherds. Wow. It is the gospel not according to Luke, but according to the, to the angels. And it's good news of great joy because it's the gospel of the cross, the coming cross and the empty tomb. Uh, the, uh, the angels are, uh, the angels shown, this angel that appears is, he's shown or he's shining with the Shekinah reflected glory of God. Brilliance, for he has been in God's presence blazing with brilliant light. Um, brilliant. I don't know what the brightest thing that you ever looked at, uh, but, you know, you wake up uh, out of, uh, in the night and, and you open your eyes, and your eyes are sensitive to, to, uh, to the light. You have to be, be careful about that a little bit. Uh, I know that you've, you're not like me as a boy when we had a total eclipse, and the, don't look at the sun. Don't look at you. You didn't do that, did you? Look at the sun. You did? Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is. You know, I did too. You know, my mother said, we had a little pinhole thing and this and that, and you were kind of, you could, with a reflector thing, you know, and it was dark for about eight or ten minutes. I remember she said, this is the last total eclipse you'll ever see. You'll be dead when the next one comes. I go, well, what is it, Mom? And I remember it. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. It was great. What a, what a light show God put on. So we, we got our little contraptions and all that, and I could barely see it. And so I'm going to look up there. And I said, oh, 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 maybe. Because she threatened, you, you'll, you'll be blind if you do. If you do that, you're cooked, you know. <laughs> and I don't know what it is about human nature. Tell us not to do it, and that's the first thing we want to do. Don't do that. I'm over there doing it. Don't look at that. I'm doing it. You know what? Don't. What? It's our what? Yeah, it's a wet paint. Don't touch the wet paint. Don't turn this way. Don't touch. Don't eat the cookies. What are we in there? We're in there up to our elbows, right, in the cookie jar, eating the cookies. Don't eat the pie. Faith will make a pie. Don't. It's cooling. Well, I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> I can't resist that crumb topping, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's a little pick and move the restaurant. She won't notice. But I didn't say that. <laughs> wow. So, you know, it's no wonder they, they awaken on verses 9 and 10. They're startled. Uh, you would be startled. You'd be shaken in your boots if all of a sudden uh, a brilliant angel appears speaking in heaven. Uh, no wonder. Uh, he, his first words out of his mouth, don't be afraid. Holy cow. Uh, uh, this, I bring you good news of great joy. This uh, three would, news would, would not be for all people everywhere. I'm reminded of that. Sometimes the message is sort of watered down at Christmas time. Uh, you know, great uh, news of great joy for all people everywhere. Isn't it great? You know, 
It's sort of the idea that all people everywhere are going to be saved. I'm sorry to tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's a form of theology that's called universalism that, that says God is a God of love, and therefore he could never send anybody to hell. Well, you have to throw about half your Bible out if you just cut and paste and tear it out and throw it away. Because remember, Jesus said, wide and broad. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's hell, the lake of fire. And there are many on that road. Many. And narrow is the way. And few. And uh, the way, the gate, the door is Jesus. And the way is low, poor in spirit. You have to come confessing you're a sinner and lost and deserving of hell, and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those are the ones, you see, the, the converted, those of God's family, adopted into his family, the saved, the redeemed. The Bible calls all kinds of names, the elect of God, from Adam all the way to the end. Wow. Wow, isn't that, isn't that something? For the people. Yeah, that's why it's not all the people everywhere. It's more exacting. There's a definite article, the word the, in front of the people. That's God's people. It's people of faith. You know, Kimmy mentioned yesterday was Kim, Kim Kuhn's funeral service. And, you know, when it's, it was common not too many years ago at such a setting as a funeral service like that, you know, they'll say, well, uh, she died in faith. We won't say it that much or that way too much anymore. Uh, he or she died in faith. What that meant was that they were saved, that they died believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior from their sin, that they died in faith, in faith. And that's what the word is referring to here, the great joy that is for the people, the people of faith, God's people. Oh, I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior, I don't care if you're 5 or 6 or 96 or 106, you must be born again. It's a command. God commands all people everywhere to repent of sin and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a command. Don't let the day pass. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. None. Have you noticed? Life is very uncertain. Read the papers, listen, you'll see it, you'll hear about it. And if you should die and you're not saved, it's forever sealed. It's the lake of fire. Now, that's not me. I'm just the delivery guy. I'll, I study the Word, and, and I have to give an account for my teaching of it and urging and shepherding. Urge you, come to Christ and be saved so that you can be in faith and one of God's people. Well, it certainly included uh, believing Israel, includes all the saved from Adam to our day to the end. It's not good news, however, for those who re reject Jesus as their Savior. And by simply uh, uh, being totally indifferent about uh, the Lord is to reject Him. The opposite of love is not hate. I say this over and over. The opposite of love is indifference. Just don't care. Just don't care. I don't care about them. It doesn't touch my life, and I'm not going to allow it to touch my life. You're a disaster waiting to happen. Come to Christ. Stop fooling around and get serious with this. It's utterly serious. D, the angel does more than tell of the birth. He tells us the significance of it in verse 11. And it's the only place in all the Bible where he tells these, uh, by identifying uh, the Lord Jesus using these three terms, the only time they all occur together, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And he makes it extremely personable, doesn't, doesn't the angel? He says, this one was born to you. You know, we sing that great Christmas song, what child is this? It's part of... Uh, partly comes from this text here as we sing that at Christmas time. He is a Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. Well, what's it mean? Number one, the, this one is Savior. It means he's the ultimate deliverer for mankind. 
He is the ultimate. It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I'd be back. It's not that. He's not the ultimate. And incidentally, he's not that tall. Did you ever know that? I, I don't know. In a strange way, since I always want to be about 6'4", David's height, I think. Hey, are you 6'4"? Six 6'5"? Six 6'3"? Yell it out. 6'6". Six 6'6". Six. Six six. Holy cow. When I heard that Arnold was only like, what, 5'10", I thought like, all right, 5'11". He's not the, the Lord Jesus is the ultimate Savior. He's the deliverer. He rescues from death and destruction. But more than it, Jesus is the Christ. Now, a lot of times, people think Jesus Christ, well, that must be his last name. Have you heard that? Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, it's not as, although it's, it's sort of stuck and people refer to it that way, like Zabolsky, Terry Edwards Zabolsky, Zabolsky. No, it's a title. It's, it, 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 the Christ is the Greek word. Christos means Messiah, the anointed one. When a man was going to be king, it was very common for him to be anointed with oil. Samuel anointed uh, Saul before he was king. He anointed David. Uh, I think he anointed him twice, didn't he, Raj? Twice, I think. Anointed with oil, anointed. And uh, it's, a, it's that culture and custom. We don't do that. When we an, inaugurate a president, we don't have him bow his head and, and the chief justice pours oil on his head. We, then we go like, well, that'd be odd. But in that culture and custom, the anointing of it. And so we understand what that was. He was the anointed one, the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah, the one that Jesus, uh, the one that was promised from Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman. Well, more than a third, he is Lord. He is Lord Jesus Christ, Savior, the ultimate deliverer. He's Jesus, not only man, but he is more. He's God. He's the God-man. And so this word, Lord Kurios, is a title for his divinity, that he is God. He is God. It points to a sovereign rule over all, over our lives. He is Lord. Remember that. It was the test in the, the early church there in Rome they, for Christians. Is Kaiser Kurios or is Jesus Kurios? Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? And the early Christians could not say that Caesar was Lord, and many of them were butchered in the arena as a result of that because they knew that to say that Caesar was Lord was to say that he was God, and he wasn't God. He wasn't, and they refused to do that. And it was real simple that Caesar and his people, henchmen, took it as a sign of loyalty. And he actually got a little document that you confess that Caesar was Lord. Well, the Christians wouldn't do it. They would refuse to do it. How many of you would refuse today at the thought of prison and death, possibility of death? I would do it. I would never say any president, any UN director, anyone anywhere is Lord. Never. There's only one. There's only one, and his name is the Lord Jesus. And if I were thrown in jail, then God just changed my place of ministry. That's right, where God will fulfill his purpose for me and for you if you know him. And so he is Lord. Well, a sign is given in our text, and we see that in verse 12. The angel says, here's a sign. It's not the strips of cloth that they wrap the baby in, um, uh, R.C. Sproul, listening to him, he called it rags, that the Son of God was wrapped in rags and put into this animal feeder. That wasn't the sign. It was the feeder. It was the manger that would be the sign. Now, it's interesting. You know, you think of the little hamlet of Bethlehem, and it's not that big. Uh, it, it really isn't. How many newborn babies would there be there in that town as they scurried into the town looking for newborn Oh, it's not this one, not that one. Oh, here it is. Here's the son of God in the manger. Kind of interesting to think about. But that was the sign that the angel gave. And obviously there, there must have been some uh, other newborns or that would have been totally needless. Well, then suddenly, here we go. Here's this heavenly anthem in, in F. Millions of angels, millions of them appear. 
praising God and giving him glory. Glory to God in excelsis Deo. Remember, you learned to sing that when you were a child. God would not allow his son's birth to go by without a proper notice. No silence. They could not be silent. Well, your life and mine, heaven couldn't remain silent, nor should you. You should not remain silent. Publish the glad tidings that a child is born. And all that that meant and means, God's timing and way of deliverance, the Savior, uh, the Christ, the Lord, was going to make our only way of escape. It is only through Jesus. Well, the second and final and quick, quickly we'll look at the second response to Jesus' birth. The shepherds could not now remain still. The heavens weren't silent. The shepherds now were not still. Well, they respond by running to check it out. They responded. They couldn't be still, nor should we. And run, I'll bet they ran like mad. Ah, ran up the hill. It was impossible for them, and they're probably younger guys, as the case typically was, it was impossible for them to sit unmoved after hearing the greatest birth announcement ever. After the angels left, they sat there deliberating for a few moments of what they saw. You ever see something, you go like, what was that? You know, like, Give me a second run-by on that thing, you know? I want to see a rerun. And they go, was that a dream as they rubbed this sleep out of their eyes again? No, it was real. What was, what? Wow, we can't, we got to check it out. You know, that, that good curiosity. We got to find out what this thing was uh, that we have been so privileged to be told about. Uh, they had to figure out first who would care for the sheep. I, I don't know how they did that, but all the shepherds couldn't have run off and left the sheep. I don't know if they did a tag team or something. You go, we'll come back and tag team like, you know, <laughs> WF, whatever, and then we'll go up. And I'm not sure how they did it, but uh, they took care of the sheep. They ran up the hill uh, probably a mile or two. They could have run in a marathon maybe. They recognized that God had revealed this to them, that the Lord has told us about it. And it reminds us that one of the ways that we, we know, how do we know? Some things we know through scientific experimentation. What? Only those things that are repeatable under similar circumstances. You know, we're into a high-tech scientific day. Don't let anyone ever tell you, you know, that, that, uh, that uh, we must know all things that way. That's bogus. You can't even prove that, uh, that Ronald Reagan was president using the scientific method. Did you know that? Impossible. And so there's another way we know true truth, right? Uh, a reliable historical record, you know, verifiable historical record. And we know certainly that George Washington was the first president. That's not the scientific method. That'll never be repeated. He's dead, you see. And incidentally, uh, there's a lot of bad stuff about George Washington that is, uh, that is about, and most of it is wrong. He was a godly man. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was faithful. He taught his troops the scriptures. He was, we used to call him the father of our country. He was a wonderful, wonderful godly man. You should know that. He never wanted to be president, ever. Did you know that? They begged him to be president. He wanted to go home to Mount Vernon, to his home. And he felt like he did everything in being the, uh, the commander of the army and all that, and he was done. But they begged him to do that. Anyway, what was it? Oh, it's about how do we know? Scientific method, reliable truth. And the, and the third way we know is that God must reveal it. And God reveals certain things to us. How do we, another avenue of how do we know what's true? God reveals. We see a select group here, the, the shepherds. They didn't say, Lord, tell us. God picked them. He chose them. Then God told them 
his message to the angel. He revealed it. And yet they said in their own words, this thing that God has told us of. They knew it was the Lord that had told them that. God had revealed something to them they would never have known. The night would have passed. They wouldn't have known the baby was born up there, or the Christ child, and it would have been one day and night after another after another. But God interrupted, drew them close, spoke to them, revealed true truth, and they found it to be so. Well, B, they hurried. They ran to the hamlet of Bethlehem. They found the child just as God had told them to the angel. Jesus was lying in a manger. And the text says that they shared (coughs) with Mary and Joseph what they had seen and heard. Now, that must have been a great encouragement. What was it? What? What do you mean an angel? What what do you mean the millions of angels? What? And what did they say? Now, that must have been a tremendous encouragement. Don't you think? Uh, To this young, now mother and her uh, betrothed husband, Wow, I'm, I'm just sure it encouraged them so very, very much. Encouragement is such a great thing. When It is. It's encouraging when, when we share what God has done in your lives and hearts. And, you know, we, we have that sharing time where we praise, God did this and God did that. And God is faithful and God is good. And I draw strength from that. We draw strength from each other. And Mary and Joseph were drawing strength for what God had revealed to to the low life of those at work, to the shepherds, and it encouraged them. And finally, see, upon leaving the stable, they could not keep this news to themselves. They couldn't do it. And uh, the text uh, tells us in verse 17, and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary, she's treasuring all these things and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned to the fields, glorifying. See, they imitated the angels now. They saw, they're glorifying, they're praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. They could not keep the news to themselves. They told any and all who would listen to them. And all who heard, the text says, were amazed, and they wondered. But I'm reminded to be amazed and to wonder and be careful with folks when you tell them about the wonder of Christ. Don't let them just stop at being amazed. You know, a lot of folks stop there. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, that's, I wonder about that, you know. I'm wondering about you too, but I wonder about that. (laughs) Don't let folks stop that because at that point because that's still lacking of salvation. You see, they need to move on and receive Christ and be saved. Don't let them stop at that point. Urge them them on to be saved. And finally, too, the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising Him. Again, God's Word was true. The shepherds, what? They saw, they heard, and then they went and told. And that's, is, isn't that the message for us? Here we gather, we pray, we worship, we share, we enjoy being together. And then now we're going to scatter here in just a couple of minutes. We go out into a world that is dark, a world that is lost, a world that doesn't know anything about Christ. A man was telling me the other week about uh, the Phillies and how he loves the Phillies. And, and he was talking about a substitute uh, a batter came in, and uh, you know, I've been talking to him for some time about Christ. It's a Jewish background. And I said to him, you know, in essence, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but really that's the heart of the Christian message. What's that, the Phillies? I said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 not the Phillies. Substitution. Did you know that's really the whole thing of Jesus? He came as God's son to be the substitute for me, for you, to die the death that I deserved. And you know what this aged man said to me? He looked at me and said, with, with complete innocence and sincerity, he said, I never heard that before. I never heard that before. I'm just praying that in time that God will open his heart and you get a chance to know him and meet him and so on. Wow. 
The shepherds saw, they heard, and they went and they told, and told any who would hear. Well, let us who know Jesus not remain silent, but urge all to respond to him as Lord and Savior. Quick, quickly, and we'll close. Some lessons for our life. Number one, peace on earth was promised. Peace, isn't that a great thing? Peace on earth was promised, but only, but only if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. I urge you again to come today and be saved. The quietness of this moment, at the end of the service, later today, the quietness of your heart, recognize that you're a sinner, under judgment, deserving of death and hell. And come to understand the substitute. Jesus came, lived, and died. It can be your payment for your sin if you will receive him. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner, and receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. In a simple little humble prayer like that, you can be saved and have the real peace. They talk about a great Christmas season. It'll be better than you've ever seen. Number two, if you are saved like the angels, you are not to remain silent. You're not. How come there's so many undercover Christian agents? You know, yeah. I, I, what are we, in CIA or something? We're like, I could tell you, but, you know, they kill me and I can't say anything and, and all that. Well, get, get exposed, right? Get out there. Time is short. One of the only things that we'll, we can do here that we won't do in heaven, publish the news. In little ways and big ways, notes, and let the love of Christ come from you. And those that say, well, well you're really different. What's different? They're asking of the hope that, that is within you. Tell them, well, let me tell you a story. People love to hear stories. Tell them a story. Tell them the story of Christ. So you, probably, you probably know about Christmas, right? Let me tell you the story of that. Maybe you never heard it. Tell them that. Tell, tell. Go and tell. That's, that's the message here. And we ought to be just like those shepherds. Okay, number three. Let's do that. If you are saved, you too must not remain still. All right, move out. The world needs to hear what you know. The world needs to know. That's the reason, in a big way, Faith and I are headed over to a very dark place to tell and to urge them to trust Christ. And then as they scatter to far places of the globe, it's multiplied over many, many times. Go and tell. Go into your neighborhoods, into your families, into your workplaces, into your school, into the locker room, at the gym, down at the Y, at the marketplace. Tell. Go and tell. Don't remain silent. Don't remain still. Do something. You're not dead yet. Don't act like it. Right? You got too much rigor mortis of the... Well, that's another thing. Number four, there's only one gospel for the whole world. Only one. Only one. If it is, uh, it, is, uh, it, it, it is for the greatest of sinners. That's what it should be. I'm sorry, I got my English here on my sheet. It is for the greatest of sinners, like uh, shepherds, uh, for, like us. There's only one gospel. There's only one way to be saved. Let God be true in every man alive. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ, Almighty God. Not weak, not fumbling, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he appears, he is almighty. Sometimes Jesus is presented as some effeminate, femi-type, milk-toast. I got news for you. He was all man in every way. He was a carpenter. He's a stone worker. You ever seen uh, Mamby Pamby in that work? I don't think so salt of the earth type. And yet in his humility, and he was. Don't think he's like that today, though. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is, he is Arnold Schwarzenegger to the infinity. I mean, incredible. Wow. Number five and last, God reveals. He reveals. He revealed to the shepherds Revealed to Mary and Joseph through the shepherds truth that uh, they would not know. He reveals it to us through the Word of God, that which we would not otherwise know. 
And we're so thankful for the Word of God, the truthfulness of it. And you can take it to the bank. It's true. Well, I don't know uh, how your mother announced your birth. Oh, my. Look at this one. <laughs> or how you announced if God has given you any children. How you announced it. Maybe you did something silly, something fun. I hope you had fun with that. Those are times of joy. But I do know this. In all of this, God could not allow the birth of the greatest one ever born to go without a huge announcement, far greater than the 4th of July at City Island or anything anywhere else, with millions upon millions of angels shouting and exclaiming, glory to God in the highest. Wow. Praise the Lord. It's the greatest birth announcement ever for the greatest one who was ever born. 